Hey everyone, this is James Willis with MTV Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Bike James podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about something a, a little off topic uh, and that is training with your teenager. And this subject came up because I've mentioned uh, offhandedly a few times in some podcasts and posts that I've been working out with my daughter who's 17 now, if that makes you feel old. Uh, at least it makes me feel old, <laughs> but, uh, my, my daughter and I've been working out, you know, seriously for, I mean, I guess about like eight, nine months now, maybe almost a year. And so I, uh, I'd mentioned a few times working out with her and I'd gotten several people. Every time I mention it, I seem to get somebody who will email or comment something about, uh, doing that, neither that they've been doing that with their kid or they would like some advice on how to do that with their kid. Uh, and so it got me thinking, well, I'll just share some of my insights and, and things that I've learned from the past year of working with my daughter and uh, hopefully can help some other people who are looking to either work out with their own kids or uh, teenagers in general. So this is also good advice if you are working with teenagers like a NICA team or something like that. So uh, again, my daughter has been, actually she's been working out with me for quite a while. Okay, so when I say that we've been working out for the last year or so, uh, I mean like, you know, really serious, me and her training together, um, having some strength goals and things like that. And so uh, kind of my, my first um, couple things that I've learned is that one, the sooner that you can expose your kids to the basic movements and the basic lifts, the better. And so like I said, like my daughter's actually been training on and off with me for, I mean, a, a long time. I mean, when she was a baby, she would be in the gym with me, you know, picking up kettlebells and being like, oh, is this what you're doing, daddy? And, you know, just playing around. And so we'd always encourage that, never trying to get her into, you know, quote unquote strength training. But if she wanted to, you know, play around and, and learn some of the movements, we would do that. And then as she got older, there were a few times when I had her doing more of a, I guess you want to call it a formal program where we had specific exercises and she would go through a routine. There was a point where uh, she was homeschooled. And so part of that was having to have a, you know, some sort of physical education at home. And so I took over that and we had, you know, her working out as part of that. And so she was exposed to the stuff uh, over the years. She just didn't take it seriously. That's kind of my second point is you can't expect your, your kids, especially when they're younger, to take it as seriously as you do. Now, if you get somebody who's really into it, one of your kids is really into it, great. But a sure way to ruin a kid for working out is to try to force it on them too soon. And kids are not little adults. You can't just treat them like little adults and expect for them to have the same value proposition that you do uh, for training and, and things like that. So the again, the second thing is don't kill their enthusiasm by trying to make them super serious early on. Now, what I felt happened with my daughter was I gave her time and room to start to get motivated to become serious. And so again, she was actually working out for the last couple of years, mainly on her own, I would give her a workout and show her how to do it. And if she had questions, she'd ask me. But she would go out in the garage and, you know, put on her headphones and go through the go through the workout. And again, nothing real hardcore, but she's you know getting the movements in, but not really seeing great results. I mean, you you have to put in some focused effort to see results from your workout. 
And so uh, she finally got motivated. The thing that motivated her was she started to get into uh, get more competitive with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, she's not really into mountain biking. She's never really been into mountain biking. I don't know if it's one of those things like, oh, that's my, my daddy does that. So I'm doing something different or whatever. Although I do jujitsu as well. So I don't, I don't know if that's the case, but she just didn't really ever mountain biking and, and biking in general never really spoke to her. That was another thing. I never really forced that on her. I just asked that she'd do something. So she was always playing some sort of sport, whether she was in jujitsu class or we had her doing basketball or track or you know, whatever we had, you know, volleyball. Uh, at one point we had her doing fencing for, you know, a few months just to get the experience, right? Like that, that's really important if you're working with kids, you know, especially your own to not try to force them to specialize too early. Again, this is kind of a little off topic, but one of the worst things you can do with a kid is tell them like, Hey, this is your sport and this is what you're going to do, uh, and focus on from now on. And really, when you look at it, most of the successful athletes did not do that. They didn't specialize early on. They did a bunch of different sports early on. And later, as they got into high school, they started to figure out what was best for them and specialize more in that. But you see a lot of these athletes were multi-sport athletes. And so I really you know, uh, encouraged slash forced her on occasion to go out of her comfort zone and try some of these other uh, other sports and, and stuff. And so she had a, a, you know, relatively varied background in that regard. But again, as she got older, she got into high school and, and started to get more into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is something she's done with me for the last 10 years. But again, just like the strength training, she was never as serious as I was, she would do it on and off. And I actually learned the hard way early on by trying to make her take it seriously. And I saw how it, it, it turned her off towards it. So I started to take more of a, a hands-off approach towards it and just let her do it for fun. If she's having fun, then great. You, you know, you got to let kids, they're not going to do stuff that they don't enjoy. And so if they're having fun, they're going to hang around something long enough to potentially get serious about and find the joy in being serious about this thing. And so uh, I felt like the, those two things kind of happened with jujitsu and with strength training with her. And so she uh, got motivated after some not great uh, competitive results to get more serious about her training, both on and off the mats. And so part of that was strength training. She, and so I said, look, we're going to start working out together. I know you're doing it, but if you really want to get results, I'm going to work out with you. I'm going to make sure that you are progressing the weights, progressing the reps, you know, doing this the right way so that you can get stronger and fitter and, and, and improve those things so that you can actually use them in real life and in your sport. And again, for her, it's jujitsu, but for me, you know, mountain biking and jujitsu for you, maybe it's just mountain biking, but whatever. But that's the basic idea for no matter what sport you're doing, right? This isn't exclusive to mountain biking or anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the those were kind of my first two uh, I guess pieces of advice is if you can get them exposed to the movement, you know, basic movement patterns, basic lifts, but do it in a fun way that's not trying to force uh, a level of seriousness that they don't want onto them, then you're going to give them a, a good foundation for when they are serious because it definitely helps that when she's like, okay, dad, I want to get serious. I want to start working out. I don't have to walk in the garage and tell her, okay, this is a deadlift. Here's how to perform a deadlift. You know, like she knows how to do that, right? Like there's always, there's technique things that she needed to clean up, but she knew the basic lift. So we weren't starting from scratch 
where you're just teaching her or where you're just teaching them the, the, the lifts just to get started. Now, again, it's not the end of the world if that's where you're at, right? If you haven't had the opportunity to teach your kid uh, or they haven't had a chance to get exposed to uh, you know, any sort of lifts or, or movement stuff before that you get them uh, in their teenage years and they're wanting to work out and be more serious, that's totally fine, right? I'm just saying that all things considered, it's better if they have some exposure. So when they do want to get serious, they can hit the ground running as opposed to having to spend time just learning the lifts, which can be a little frustrating, especially if you're thinking like, man, I got to put some weight on and get strong. It's a little tougher to, to get them to take the time to learn things properly if their focus is more on the results and the performance uh, side of things. And so anyways, it's not impossible. It's just, and again, it certainly shouldn't discourage you from taking on the challenge of, of working with your kid or, or kids if they haven't. But just know that there's a difference there, right? Like the way that you're going to approach training a kid who's had that exposure versus someone who hasn't is going to be different. And the biggest difference is just you're going to have to spend a few months not really worrying about set and rep schemes, just keeping things really basic and just teaching them the movements and the lifts. You know, you want to expose them to all the, to a bunch of the, the different movements and stuff. And so that's the, and once they've got that down, then they can shift into being more serious about the sets and the reps and, and using periodization and things like that. So that's where the the next thing is periodization. Like, okay, well, how do we, you know, now that we've decided we want to work out, they want to get serious. Well, what do we do with them? And, you know, the best thing is to keep it simple. I mean, that's with, you know, for your own program as well. But especially when you're working out with a kid, keep it simple. And, you know, starting from like the big 50,000 foot overview and then going down to the specifics is kind of how I'm going to look at this. And so that 50,000 foot overview is, well, what's the, the periodization scheme? Like what's the general plan? Like periodization is just a, a fancy word for a plan, right? Like what's, what's your plan? Like what are you going to do this month and then next month and the following month? And what's kind of the logic behind that progression? And so for me, I find that an alternating periodization scheme, meaning that we're alternating periods of, of higher weight and lower reps uh, and you know, with periods of lower weight and higher reps. And so you've got intensification where you're lifting heavier weights for low reps. And then you've got, um, oh, what the hell is it called? The, the, the volume side of it, accumulation, sorry. So it's intensification and accumulation is the, you know, what you call those two different cycles. And there's a bunch of different ways you, or things you can plug in there, right? There's not just one set and rep scheme that plugs into that. But the idea is like, we're going to move some weight and with lower reps, I would say like 20 reps or less total per exercise for the, the main lifts. And then alternating that with the accumulation or higher rep stuff where you're going to be doing, you know, 25, 30 reps or more per, uh, per exercise in the main sets. And so for me, the, the four phases or, or, or workout schemes, I guess, that I've been using uh, for our workouts, we, the first one is a bodybuilding phase. And so we're doing three sets of 10 reps uh, for the main lifts. And I'll explain what that means here in a, in a minute. But I tend to have a focus circuit and a secondary circuit. And the focus circuit's where we've got our main lifts that we're, we're, we're focusing on. And so the bodybuilding, we're going to be doing three sets of 10. And bodybuilding is, it builds skill because you're getting a lot of reps, right? You're getting 30 plus reps per exercise. And so that, that allows you to build the skill of the movement. And it also builds muscle, which is your natural armor on the bike. 
And so again, I, you know, people will get afraid. I've got several posts on why mountain bikers don't need to be afraid of putting on muscle, right? It's strength to weight ratio that you want to be worried about. And so if you put on some muscle and you greatly improve your strength and you've improved your strength to weight ratio, then that means that you're going to see improvements on the bike. And so don't be afraid of putting on muscle. Uh, kids, it's a good thing for, for kids to work on. And, and you as well. I'm going to touch on this here at the end, like why it's a good idea for you to work out with your kid if you can. Uh, but for the older athlete, you know, being the 40 plus uh, athlete that I am, and I know a lot of people listening to this are, that man, muscle is one of those things like you're going to lose it as you get older. And so you want to do what you can to maintain it. And so you want to try and do things to add muscle and maintain muscle as you're getting older because that's you know one of the signs of getting older is just natural muscle loss. And so there comes a point where bodybuilding actually becomes a, a, an important part of your overall workout strategy. And so that just means you know we're still using functional exercises and strategies. It's just we're using this three sets of 10, kind of the, the lower weight, higher reps, looking for hypertrophy. Um, which, you know, it, again, in some instances, that's maybe not the best thing for some athletes, but again, for, for teens, for the older athlete, I believe that it's a, it's an important part of your, of your training program. Um, so I, uh, after bodybuilding comes strength. And so I do a, a five, three, two with this. And so we, we do a set of five, we add some weight, we do a set of three, and then we add some weight and we do a set of two. And each week we're trying to increase the weight on that 532. And so this builds strength. And strength is your foundation for performance. And so it's a very important phase uh, for us. But again, it's just part of the overall picture. Um, after the strength, I'll go with a, I call it a hybrid phase. It's, it's your five by five, five sets of five reps. And so again, you're getting lots of reps, you're getting 25 reps but you're gonna be using moderate weight, like you're gonna be using a, a relatively higher weight than you would for the bodybuilding phase, right? Bodybuilding, you're doing three sets of 10, and this is five sets of five, so it's only five reps less, but you're gonna be using a higher weight because you're doing more reps and only five reps per set. And so that moderate weight with you know uh, relatively higher reps, that's kind of a hybrid between building muscle and building strength. And so that's a good one. And then finally, I finish off with a, uh, I call it a strength endurance. And I like to use rep ladders for this. And so this is where you take a single weight uh, that you could do for about five reps, and you're gonna do a set of two, and then a set of three, and then a set of five. And you're gonna go through that two times. And so what this does is it builds, again, this is like 20 reps total. Um, and it, it, you're only, only a couple of the reps are, uh, or only, only a couple of sets are you really kind of maxing out, going to like the, the max reps that you can do with the weight, but you're still moving the weight and you're getting 20 reps with it. So you're going to be using a relatively high weight for those 20 reps, which again is building the strength endurance because that's what mountain biking is. Mountain biking is a strength endurance sport. I mean, lots of sports are. Jiu-jitsu is, you know, lots of sports are, are strength endurance sports. So you know, there's very, you have a few pure strength sports, you know, things like powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, even things like sprinting, you could kind of consider like a pure strength and power sport. And then you've got your endurance stuff, you know, your marathons and then things. But then there's a lot of sports like ours, which fall in the middle where you need good strength and you need good endurance. And so it's your endurance with your strength that determines the outcome. It's not just focusing on one or the other. And so those are the four basic 
phases, I guess, that I'll take uh, us through for our periodization. We got the bodybuilding, the three by 10, we've got the strength, the five, three, two, we've got the hybrid, which is the five by five, and then finally we finish off with the strength endurance, which is our rep ladders, and then we'll just repeat that cycle again. That's, that's pretty much it. Those are the, the four basic phases that we go through. And so getting into the specifics of the workouts, um, you know, I, I using uh, movement patterns instead of muscle groups, I mean, that's still the way to go. And so you're looking at training a push, both a vertical and a horizontal. So like a chest press is a horizontal and a shoulder press is a vertical, but both of those are pushing movements. You've got pulling movements, again, vertical and horizontal, like a, a row being a horizontal and a chin up or pull up being a vertical. You've got your squat, which is, you know, squats, goblet squats, back squats, front squats, uh, your hinge, which are your deadlift, your swings, um, anything working on that, that hinging pattern. You've got your lunge. <clears throat> and again, I, I consider this to be a separate pattern from squatting. Squatting is a two-legged exercise. Lunging is a one-legged exercise. And so this could be a lunge, reverse lunge, Bulgarian split squat, lateral lunge. You know, really there's all sorts of single leg exercises that I would consider to, you know, any single leg exercise I consider in that lunge category. Um, carries, this is where you're carrying weight. <clears throat> so things like farmer's walks, uh, bear hug walks, um, overhead walks, just basically where you've got weight and you're walking and carrying it. Uh, your windmill exercise, and so I've done several posts on why the windmill is such a vital exercise, especially for riders. This is the basic movement pattern behind cornering. And so the, the windmill, the stick windmill, the, the mace windmill, the kettlebell windmill, these exercises work this windmill, this corkscrew movement pattern, which is so essential for us in, in a bunch of different ways, but especially for cornering on the bike. And then finally, I train the arms, uh, both the buys and tries and shoulders so like lateral raises front raises things like that um kind of going beyond the vertical pushing right which is shoulder pressing and kind of into the isolation i guess if you want to call it that um training the arms is great because they make for what i call active isometrics you know uh <clears throat> some of the bodybuilding stuff got i think we threw the baby out with the bathwater. i may have mentioned this before but the um the idea of an isolation exercise right like we say well that's non-functional and I guess if you're just, you know, it is in some ways, but the reason that it's an isolation exercise is because you only have a single joint moving. Well, if you only have a single joint moving, what is the rest of the body doing? It's resisting movement, right? Now, obviously you can go, you can have a machine, you can have some sort of contraption, which helps like, you know, stabilize your body artificially so that you can isolate a joint, um, things like a leg curl and leg extension machine. Uh, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. You know, when I'm, I'm talking about kind of these active isolation or isometric um, isolation exercises. So again, when you're doing a bicep curl or a lateral raise and all you want is your that single joint moving, right? On a bicep curl, you just want the elbow joint moving. On a, on a lateral raise, you just want your shoulder joint moving. All the other joints in the body are resisting movement. And so that is isometric training. And isometric training is hugely important for our strength and performance and, and fitness and health. And so it's a, it's a good way to get some isometric training in is by working the arms. Plus, everyone likes to see their arms get more muscular. I mean, that's a, you know, again, we, there's a little bit of vanity in why we work out and that's totally fine. It is completely fine to work out because you enjoy the way that it makes you look. 
and nothing will get people more motivated to continue to work out than looking in the mirror and being like, dang, I'm getting a little definition on my arms there, right? So it's it's a good thing for several different reasons, but I throw the arms in uh, when, I am, when I'm uh, training, especially myself and, and my daughter. You know, I may not do that with some of my athletes and whatever, depending upon where they're at in their careers, but for again, for teens and the older athletes, I think that training the old gun show and, and stuff is, is good for a few different reasons. So um, now in the workouts themselves, again, the, the way that I look at it is I've got a focus circuit. So this is going to be two to three exercises that are following the main set and rep scheme. So if we're doing three sets of 10, then and that's the main set and rep scheme that I'm going to pick two or three of those those movement patterns and exercises that go with that. So maybe I do like a, you know, a, a chest press and a squat one day. And then the next day I'm going to do a, a row and a, and a deadlift. Okay. And so like those are going to be my, my focus circuits. Those two exercises are the focus circuit and they're going to follow that main set and rep scheme, the three sets of 10, five, three, two, whatever that is. And then I'll also have a secondary circuit where I've got three to five exercises that, that may be following a little bit different set and rep scheme that's appropriate for the exercise. And so, for example, the windmill exercise, I don't really like to do three sets of 10 with the windmill. I just don't find that that's a good uh, exercise for, for super high reps like that. So I tend to stick to five reps, you know, a couple sets of five reps with the windmill and we're good. Right. And so the carries are another one. Like, what do you do with carries? Like, you're doing laps with that. So it doesn't really fit into the set and rep scheme. So the secondary circuit will be a little more flexible. I'll try to keep it somewhere in the ballpark, right? Like, if we're training strength, I'll try to keep it to 20 reps or less total that we're doing. If we're training more of the accumulation, you know, maybe we can go above that. But overall, I'm going to, you know, not have them be as, uh, you know, um, dogmatic, I guess. So that's why I'm also going to pick like the focus circuit's going to follow that. So we're going to find exercises. They're going to follow that. So for example, like for a strength phase, right, where I'm doing five, three, two pushups are probably not a great way, great exercise choice for me, unless there's a way that I can load them. You've got a weight vest or something like that, but they're not a great exercise for that set and rep scheme. So they might be a good one for the three sets of 10, right? Like doing three sets of 10 reps for, for push-ups um, might be a good idea. But, you know, so I would pick, if I'm doing a strength phase, I'm going to pick something that I can move some weight, you know, a dumbbell chest press, a bench press, something like that. And then, you know, in my, in my secondary circuit, I might have push-ups and, and go higher reps. Again, it depends on where you're at, right? Like I'm doing more reps than, than my daughter is. And so you kind of have to uh, gauge that. But it's important that they do push-ups. It's important that they do chin-ups. It's important that they do these bodyweight exercises. And so that's where they would go into the secondary circuit. If they don't fit real cleanly into the focus circuit, well, you can put them in the secondary circuit and, and you're good to go. So, uh, so I will, uh, you know, during the week, we'll do two days of movement-based training and one to two days of isometrics. I believe the isometrics are super important. They're a foundation for your strength. And so uh, two days of movement-based, right? Like you're doing the, the, the push-ups, the squats, the deadlifts, the, the things where you're actually creating movement. And then I'm going to have a day or two where we're just doing isometrics. So we're still following a lot of the movement patterns. We're just going to be doing an isometric version of 
those movement patterns. Now, if you train kids and don't have access to weights, like let's say you work with a NICA team and you want to incorporate some sort of strength training with them and you've got a lot of kids, different strength levels, uh, different experience levels, you may not have access to equipment, then isometrics are a great place to start. I mean, just have them do something simple like a push-up hold, right? Like kids that aren't as strong can, can do a high plank where their arms are locked out at the top of a push-up. Kids that are stronger can go down and hold the bottom of a push-up. Um, you can do a lunge hold, same thing. Just kind of find the, the, the distance uh, or, or, you know, the height that works for them. You know, trying to hold a lunge with your knee just off the ground for 30 seconds to a minute is really hard to do. Um, and then a single leg RDL, right? Like a stiff-legged deadlift, um, but just one leg at a time and have them hold that. Like those three movement patterns or exercises represent your, your movement patterns that you need on the bike and would be a great place for you to start just building some strength with a group of kids that you don't have equipment with and stuff. And so, but again, for yourself, if you don't have access to equipment, then you can easily start doing some body weight stuff, start doing some isometrics um, in order to, to start working on that. And so, you know, isometrics are a way to allow you to build strength without overcomplicating things um, and taking away a lot of the excuses that people might have regarding equipment and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, a warm up. I do do a warm up, but I, I keep it really super basic. Like it takes five minutes or less, right? Cause remember if you're dealing with, with kids, their attention span is not super long. They're not going to want to go through 10 minutes of foam rolling, all sorts of dynamic mobility stuff. So again, you may like doing that, but if you're going to be training kids or working out, you got to meet them with where they're at. And so, uh, so again, I do do some sort of warm up. And I keep it really basic, just you know, three, maybe four uh, kind of total body movements that, that start getting things loose and, and warmed up. And then, um, and then that's it, right? And then get into the workout, get going. And you don't want to lose them before the workout's even started. And then I do like to try to finish with some sort of you know, basic stretch or mobility movement at the end. Again, you kind of got to gauge your crowd um, with where they're at. Because again, you want to, like I said in the very beginning, you want to keep it fun enough and and them enjoying it enough to where they can continue down the road of becoming more and more serious about what they're doing. And so if you're trying to shove like, hey man, the best thing to do is this, you know, pre-workout routine and they don't want to do it and they're getting burned out on it. They just want to get in the workout and work out. You know, obviously you got to be safe. You don't want to do things that are going to get them hurt. But, you know, dude, we as a kid, like I barely ever warmed up, right? Like I grew up before all this dynamic mobility, foam rolling stuff. And, you know, we were fine, especially kids, right? Like you're, you're, you're fine. You're going to be all right if you're not doing this crazy long warm up. Um, and so that's pretty much it uh, that I do with, with my daughter and what, that I would recommend, you know, keep it simple. Um, you know, it's a basic alternating periodization scheme, keeping focusing on the, the movement pattern, the basic movement patterns and lifts, uh, you know, the couple days of movement-based stuff and then also using isometrics. That's a great way to start. And if you don't have a kid that has much experience, that's a great place to start is with isometrics because they build strength with the movement pattern without it being, you know, having to go through the movement pattern a lot. And then when they go start to go through the movement pattern, it's easier for them, right? And so you want to build that isometric strength first and then that's going to help transfer over to the movement-based stuff. Uh, and so now to close out here, I want to, say, why is it good for you to train with your kid? And there's three reasons. So one, it forces you to get a routine and to stick with it. it I know for myself, especially as I've been, I've been training for 30 plus years, right? Like I start to get bored 
and I start to just bounce from workout to workout. And I'll do something for a little bit, and then I'll make a change, and I'm doing something else. And you know, before I started training with my daughter, I was not super uh, diligent about making sure that I had a set program and that I followed it the whole time. And so I can't get away with that with her. I have to have a workout plan. I have to have it written out. We're going to do it for four weeks, and then I'm going to get a new one, right? And so it forces you to get a routine and to stick with it, which may be something that you're struggling with uh, at this point in your training career. The other thing, it gives you a training partner who sees what you're doing both in and out of the gym. Now, if you don't have a training partner already, having a training partner is one of the best things that you can do to get you to uh, be more consistent with your workouts. I mean, there's there's you know studies and stuff to show this. So your kid makes a great training partner like that. You know that if they're they're going to be there and they're counting on you, then you're you got to show up. And besides that, it's it's they're also seeing what you're doing out of the gym. So if you're going to the gym and you're doing all the right stuff and then you go home and you're eating like crap and you're not getting good sleep and you know you're not doing the stuff at home to support your training, well they're going to see that too. But having them as your training partner it gives you a chance to model good behavior both in and out of the gym, which is going to motivate you to do better. I mean, again, for myself, I have made sure that I have taken my post-workout drink because I know my daughter's watching. I make sure that I'm doing my stretching and mobility because I know that she's watching and I know that I can tell her, hey, this is going to help you recover better, right? And so it motivates you because you know that you've got someone watching you who's who's you know, also saying, Hey, you know, if he's not doing it, then why should I do it? And it's like, well, then make sure you do it. Right. And finally, it, it lets you pass on what you know, which helps you learn it better. Right. If you really want to know how to do something, you teach it. And so it's going to help you learn, you know, just become better at training yourself. And it's also going to help you pass this on to the next generation. Right. Like we need you know, people helping the next generation of strength trainers, people who, who are into strength training, uh, to know how to do it properly. And so, you know, if you have that knowledge and it allows you to pass that on to your kid and who knows who they're going to touch in the future. And so it's this chain of knowledge, right? Somebody taught you and you're going to teach your kid and then they're going to teach somebody hopefully, right? And so there's this, this chain of knowledge that's been passed down and you're just one link in this chain and it allows you to continue that chain, right? To help forge that next link in the chain. And so those are, are the reasons that I think it's it's really great. If you have the opportunity to work out with your kid, then you should take it, right? It's going to get you to be more consistent with your routine. It's going to get you to do things uh, to recover that you might not do if your buddies, you're just working out with your buddies and you don't care if they see or not, right? And you're going to help uh, pass on what you know, which is going to help make you better and, and just strengthen the next generation as well. So, so anyway, so that's basically it. I know this is, you know, a lot of information. Um, I'm thinking about creating a program, you know, a training with your teens program. So if you're interested in something like that, uh, let me know, uh, james at bikejames.com or leave a comment with this podcast, just kind of see what kind of interest there is in that sort of thing. But hopefully this has given you some fuel for thought to help you start to formulate a plan for how you are going to work out with your kid if they're not quite to that point yet. Or if you do have a kid who's at that age and is interested in getting more serious about strength training, uh, help you give you some pointers to help you do that. Um, so anyways, you can uh, check out more good training info. I mean, really a lot of the stuff that I, I write on my blog at bikejames.com, I mean, you know, will apply. I, I really keep things pretty simple 
with the stuff that I do, I've found that, you know, getting too fancy doesn't really work and it's really more for entertainment's sake. And so, um, you know, you can find a lot of good exercises and training ideas there at bikejames.com. And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, that's the place to do it. Uh, you get free weekly training tips when you do that. And also be sure to check out pedalinginnovations.com and the Catalyst pedal. It's the pedal that I design to optimize your foot stability and position. So again, you know, it's, it's kind of silly if you're going to spend all this time in the gym training your foot to act one way where you're, you have the whole arch supported and you're driving through the, the heel and the ball of the foot and, and the whole foot's being stabilized uh, by the floor. And then you're going to get on your bike and ask your foot to try and perform in this unnatural, unstable environment, which is what a regular pedal creates. And so the Catalyst pedal creates the same environment for your foot that it finds in the gym. And so you're going to get much better transfer for the stuff that you're doing in the gym to the bike because of that environment for your foot that the Catalyst pedal creates. So you can check out more at pedalinginnovations.com. So anyway, so that's going to do it for this Bike James podcast. Uh, again, you got any questions or anything, let me know. I'm always happy to help. And uh, But otherwise, I will talk to everybody next time.